Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. Can I just say, can I just say it right out and very bluntly? You're the reason for the season. You're the reason for the season, and the reason is because we stink. We're terrible. We're sinners. It wouldn't have to have happened if it wasn't for us. We're the reason for the season, and Jesus is the cure. We talked about this last week. Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the one who removes the poison of that serpent. But today, we're going to shift it a little bit. And we're not going to change the tone because it is important for us to understand that we are responsible for this season. But we're going to flip it a little bit and say the title of today's message is Love Letter. Love Letter. And the big idea is this. The passion of Christ is the ultimate love letter to humanity. Open your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to read a large portion of John chapter 12, and then we're going to break apart some of the passages so that you can better understand what is being said in this passage. John chapter 12, starting verse 20. Starting in verse 20, it says this. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to the worship at the festival. Okay? So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Most scholars will believe that Philip is actually a Hellenistic Jew, which means he's Greek by by birth. He's 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 a converted Jew, and he's one of Jesus' disciples. So when the Greeks, the Hellenists, want to see Jesus, who do they go to? The only Greek in the group. I think it's important for us to understand that the people who followed Jesus were very diverse. I mean, he had literally had um, women who were followers of him. Scandalous. What is a woman going to do with all this knowledge? Ha! Jesus knew better than centuries following, right? My goodness. He had Greeks. He had tax collectors. He had all these people. And now the message is being spread, and the Greeks want to talk to Jesus. So they go to Philip, and Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now Jesus replied to these Greeks. He said this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life and this world will keep it Excuse me, life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, 
you might be thinking that Jesus is talking about his own life, and I think he actually is. I think he's talking about what's about to happen. I think he's talking about unless this grain, this seed of grain, grain seed, what do we Grain. It's a seed, right? Yeah. Unless it goes into the ground and dies, so to speak, it, it can't be more than just it's what it is. But if it goes into the ground, it produces lots of fruit. But I also believe he's speaking about us. Unless we take this life, this life that we've given, been given, this seed of life, and we don't bury it, die to it, that it's just all about us. Can we say that we're living in a culture that's just all about us? We live in one of the most narcissistic cultures that has ever lived on this face of this earth. Everything's about us. He said, unless we die to that, nothing bigger can happen. We're going to get into a little more. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What do I mean? I got to serve somebody now? I thought, now I'm dying to self. Now I got to be a servant? What happens at the end of that phrase, that, that sentence? God honors him. So what is it saying? Instead of you honoring you all the time, why don't you let the Father do it for you? Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour, but this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word today. God, give us insights. Lord, I pray that we would not be apprehensive to letting your word penetrate through our armor that we put up. God, give us the ability by your Holy Spirit to truly hear in Jesus' name. Amen. John 12, 24 explains that God's way of seeing everything, setting everything right, is that Jesus had to die on behalf of sinners. In order for God to set everything right, Jesus had to die on behalf of sinners. Mark 10, 45 says this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. As we talked before, Jesus talks about this seed falling to the ground, dying, and then producing a fruit in keeping, in keeping with the nature of the seed itself. So think about the, the person of Jesus. He, he dies. Literally, it's like a literal, literal metaphor. It's planted in the ground and then Raises, raises on the third day, and the fruit that he bears from that process is fruit that is supposed to be in likeness to the seed. We are supposed to resemble Christ. There's a whole, my favorite passage of Scripture 
chapter of Scripture in all of Scripture is John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, that, that whole thing. And I'm not going to go into it now. I actually was tempted to like move into that passage, but I, I want to pick that, service, that, that chapter apart in a whole series at some point because that one is just chef's kiss, right? Just beautiful. But the idea is that when we are fruit of something, we resemble the original, the OG. So, Jesus' sacrifice in planting himself is to produce fruit in and through us. Truly, I tell you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. It is critical for us to see Jesus' death as the only possible way of producing the seed of salvation in our lives. What do you mean, pastor? There, there's got to be other ways. Nope. Not according to Scripture. According to this book right here, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I have to, I'm just going to tell you, anybody who's selling something other than that is not selling Christianity. It's, it's not the same thing. It's a, it's a totally different religion. It may have some of the same trappings. It may have some of the same uh, iconography. It may have all these things. But if unless, unless it's central, central to Jesus, Jesus being the way of redemption, then it's not Christianity. My wife and I went on a trip the other day, and we were just marveling at all these churches in these big cities. This big city, we went to, it's a big city, Boston. We went to Boston recently and stayed overnight. It was nice, nice place, terrible roads. Oh my gosh, I thought I was going to have a panic attack just trying to get from point A to point B. And I wasn't even driving, I was in an Uber. But we're saying, we were asked, you know, some of the churches that were there, they've been churches for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you look their churches up, they've compromised so much what the Bible says that they've become completely irrelevant. And in my estimation, they've become something other than a Christian church. Because it's got to be about Christ, period. Hard stop. This understanding will require all believers to accept that their status before God, <laughs> before God, will be permanently fallen unless Jesus had fallen the cross for us. Romans 3, 22 through 26 says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his 
restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. That is a direct reference to Jewish Passover. 26, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justified, justifying the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a big verse, right? It's a big verse, a lot of things there. In 2 Corinthians, he makes it very simple. He made him, the one who did no sin, to be sin for us. He made him who did no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. He made the one who did not know sin be sin for us. Can you imagine that? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He traded your sin for his righteousness. I would say we got the good end of the deal. But I want to really have you understand this. Remember we talked last week. The serpent bite was already in us. The poison is already in us. We were on the road to destruction unless Christ came. Without Christ, that's the destination. Eternal, unredeemable without Christ. So, you're the reason for the season. I'm the reason for the season. The reason that this whole thing had to happen was because of me. Jesus' call to radical discipleship, John 12, 25, the idea of us doing that, is an imperative for us to consider during the Lenten season. This is why we talk about this stuff in Lent. Verse 25, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Well, I don't want to keep something for eternal life that I hate. Because it doesn't mean hate your life. It means die to self. I have often asked myself this question. And here's the thing. I've asked myself my question, myself this question. If it, if it came down to it, really came down to it, would I be able and willing to die for Christ. You hear stories of missionaries who are demanded to convert to another religion or denounce Christ. And they tenaciously, and I believe by the, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, say, I will not deny my Lord and Savior and they are killed for that profession. And I often think, what if I was put in that situation? But I've come to believe that that's the wrong question. (laughs) It's the wrong question because it misses the point. If I haven't been crucified with Christ in my life, then what would it why would, I make, why would I crucify myself physically in that moment? I have to live a life that is in sacrifice to Christ. If I ever think that I'm going to 
literally die for Christ. I don't think you can make that decision in the moment. I don't think it's something that you like, you know, you're just living your life, so you say, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't deny Christ. And you're like, oh, never, and they kill you. No, I think, I think it's something that like you have to embrace in your life. That it's no longer I that live it, but Christ that lives in me. So then when that moment would come, if that moment should come, and God, I pray that that doesn't happen. But I know there's some kids in here. And I know that God may be calling them into the mission field. Sometimes I think, that would be so cool to have one of my kids be a missionary. And I'm like, hmm. Because I know I would rather give my life than have them give theirs. But it's happened before. In Acts, our study of Acts, we just talked about the, the martyrdom of Stephen. If you haven't been part of that Acts class, you are missing out. It's been so awesome. Tons of people from our church are, are getting involved in one of the classes. It's been great. But it could happen. I don't want it to happen, but it could. But my, my point is this. If we're not ready for it, now we won't be ready when the time comes. Following Jesus requires our entire person, not just our physical body. John Whitaker explains it this way. The word for life in this passage is psyche. And it does not only refer to the physical life. It is more comprehensive than that. Taking one's whole being, one's self. The self was not created to be an autonomous center of being, but rather to be in union with God and receive life from him. Psyche is a life which is given to man by God and which through man's attitude toward God receives its character as either mortal or immortal. The love of this self is the heart of all sin. Being with the, uh, beginning with the rebellion in the garden, that rebellion brought death and continues to bring death. When Jesus says the one who loves his self will lose it, he does not mean misplace it, it but rather destroy it. If you try to save your life, you will ultimately destroy it. But if you lay down your life, if you die to the self, and you give yourself over to this relationship that Christ wants with you, then you save your life for eternity. That's how we were created to be. That's how, that's how it works. In contrast, the life God gives is meant to be seen as a precious gift filled with wonder. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, now, what do, we, what do we understand by serve? Gives up that love of self. Remember what we read earlier? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for others. So when we give our lives to Christ, when we deny self and we serve Christ, it's this mutual relationship of service to one another. Isn't that weird? 
The God of heaven would want to have that? You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a healthy marriage. Where one is not dominating the other. Where they're working in concert with one another, serving one another. And in that union of of mutual servitude, mutual respect and love, life is at its fullest. That's what God is calling us into. So if anyone serves me, gives up his love of self, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Can we just let it go for just a second and stop this narcissistic um, insecurity that if we don't honor ourselves, if we don't lift ourselves up, no one else will? The fact of the matter is, the more you do that, the more you, you feel the need to do that. There's actually a psychological diagnosis now for social media addiction. The idea is, and this is not against social media, I'm just saying this concept of constantly needing self-affirmation. When you put something out on social media, what happens is that you have to continue to check in with that to make sure that it's getting likes. Why do we need that? Why do we need that? Because you know what that does? It releases chemicals in your body that make you feel good. So the more you get likes, the more you have to feed that addiction of self-aggrandizement. It's a trend, and it's, it's, as, it's as primal as the garden. Can we just stop for a second and just be and let God do the honoring? When you die to self, you're putting your honor in the hands of God, not in your own. Do you trust him to be affirming of you, to take care of you, to love you without you having to love you so much? And I think it's a problem because we all talk, you know, self-esteem, all oh, self-esteem, all oh, have to do self-esteem stuff. Yeah, we make people feel good about themselves. Self-esteem, 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 self-esteem. <laughs> it's actually not in here. We feel best when we have God-esteem, not self-esteem. We just, human beings, I'm not saying we shouldn't have esteem. It just shouldn't come from us. It should come from our healthy relationship with our families and with God. That's where our steam should come from. It's a tragedy. It's a literal tragedy that we have to work up self-esteem. It means something's broken. It's not a healthy thing. It means something's broken that you haven't gotten the esteem from a healthy family relationship or you haven't gotten your esteem from God. So You have to work this thing up. And it means that something's broken. And that makes sense, right? Because it is. We tend to lose the wonder when we stop seeing what God has done for us. I hope that if this, this series did anything for you, it helps you recapture the wonder 
of God's love for you. How big it is. How intense it is. How long-lasting it is from, from, from before you, know, you were a glint in your parents' eye till eternity. John Piper captures the idea when he says this. For many, maybe this is you, think about it real carefully. For many, Christianity has become the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from collections of biblical facts. Grinding out, become a grind. But childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and poetry and music of the majesty of God have dried up like a forgotten peach at the back of the refrigerator. I like that. Jesus' death alone provides the answer to our greatest question. Does God love us? If God loves us, we can lay it down. We can die to self and stop propping ourselves up. If God loves us, we can rest in his affirmation. We can rest in his care. If God loves us, we're going to be okay. If there's any question to that, you have to work so hard to make yourself feel good, to make yourself okay, to try to earn things that God graciously just wants to If we are to consider the death of Jesus, um, depth of Jesus' sacrifice for us, then we must be willing to see with open eyes the cause of that death. Our sin led him to the cross. And nothing short of the cross would bring us back into right relationship with God. So the answer to the question according to this, does God love us? The answer is, yes! Yes! Yes, 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 yes! He loved you before you were lovable. Romans 5.8, but God proves his love for us. God proves his love. God proves his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till you got your stuff figured out. He didn't hold it out like a carrot, like, okay, come on. You get your stuff together. I just might love you. He didn't do that. He took the initiative. He loved you first. He loves you with more than poetic verse and hollow platitudes. The Bible is a love letter to humans, but the Old Testament without the New is like the meaningless words of a love letter from an absentee husband. I love you. Do you? Because I haven't seen you in a while. I love you. Here's a love letter. 
yeah, but you haven't showed me love for weeks. The Old Testament is completed when we get into the New Testament. He loved you with purposeful action. He planned his work and worked his plan to love you with everything he has. And this is not just a past tense thing. Let me just say it to you right now. Take this from the heart of a pastor who has to grapple with this himself. He loves you. Right here. Right now. With every bit of passion and tenacity that he had hanging on that cross, he loves you now. not a past tense love only. He loves so that he can fully love. He loved so that he can fully love. He loved on the cross so that he can fully love now. And you can enjoy and reciprocate that love. Isn't that nice? The cross is the ultimate love letter written in red. written in red. And that's what Good Friday is going to kind of focus in on, guys. Because he didn't use ink to write that love letter. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to understand the full implications of your sacrifice on the cross. Help us, Lord, give us a better perspective on this life. On the things we hold so tenaciously to. On the things that we see and feel are so important. Help us to appreciate that you gave it all up for a relationship with us. So that we could be reunited with you for eternity. Give us a passion to die to self so that we can enjoy life in you and with you. Lord, reveal to us in this season of Lent just how much you love us so that we can respond in kind. Thank you for not being absent but showing up and actively loving me. God, show us your love. In the powerful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Before you guys jump up and binge on more coffee, which I hope you will, there's one more verse I want to read. And it's the end of what we, that first, that, that section in John 12. It says this, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. 
I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. We're going to pick up with that verse right there on Friday night. Folks, I want you to consider today just how much he loves you. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Friday night.